When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Travis. We did it. We made it through the year. Whatever that means for you. I don't know if you're at a high point or a low point. Probably, like me, you're somewhere in the middle. Maybe a little bit nervous about 2022. That's okay. Because I know you have the next 35 minutes to yourself. And we've put together something really fun for you. I'm very excited about this episode, so I'm going to keep my announcement short because you're going to have another episode tomorrow. Because Yeah, because remember, we're back to the 1st and the 15th. So relax, try to chill, and enjoy New Year's Eve at the hotel. The hotel looks roughly about the size of a modest battleship, and about as inviting. Looks old, like one of those buildings you see in Europe that were strong and ugly enough to survive a hundred ancient wars, or an American Walmart that will survive a hundred new ones. I can't really see it through all this damned wind and snow. I hold my blazer tightly around my midsection and push on. At least the driveway's neatly shoveled. There's no hoofing through this snow. It'll be knee-deep by nightfall. Find enough business model. Hosting a New Year's Eve party in the middle of nowhere and supplying the rooms when we're all too drunk and stupid to trek out through the storm. I try to spy the hotel again, squinting against the stinging ice. Is that... I hold my hand up, trying to see clearly. For just a moment, I thought I saw a figure standing high above me in the storm. (laughs) I tell myself it's a bit early in the night for seeing things, but the sun is setting quickly, and I don't bother cracking a grin. It's a long, cold walk to take along, but the thought of the warm, glowing party inside spurs me on with vigor. The wind behind me does its part to remind me the penalty of dawdling. There really should be some car service or lamp-heated path through. I did a Christmas party at the Imperium a number of years ago, and not a single guest had to trundle through Dante's Levelopio Bassa to attend. I hasten my step and immediately slip on the patches of snow spilling on my feet. The wind is whirling flurries of snow that catch in my hair and stick to my glasses such that I can't see if I'm any closer to the front doors. I slip again and fall forward into a snowbank. Something icy slinks into my collar and my heart stops. For a full beat. Pulling my head up from the bank does almost nothing for my vision. I'm caught in the fury of a full blizzard with no sense of direction or warmth. The wind has rendered me effectively deaf and blind. I try to stand, but the icy feeling has spread to my arms, and I plunge once again into a sea of wet powder. 
I stopped breathing, either from the cold or from panic. If the snow covers me, I will be dead in minutes, and no one will find me until spring, but my limbs are all but frozen numb. My last thoughts are not visions from my past or regrets for my future. There is only the thoughtless panic of survival as I try for a final time to raise my body above the rising snow line. I hope I have enough strength to scream loudly enough that someone can hear me over the damning wind. The enormous glass door of the equally enormous lobby swings closed with a loud knock behind me. The sun has set, and a calm but growing wind blows snow lightly across the clean black road. It's quiet inside. I'm either embarrassingly early or embarrassingly late. I hope to be early and pray you're never late, as the poet said. A business trip. Ah, so I'm not the first to arrive. Someone's already checking in with the front desk manager. Welcome. The front desk manager is dressed quite stylishly. I feel almost dressed down. I don't want to interrupt the other gentleman, and I say so. There's no one here but you, sir. The other guests haven't arrived yet. And indeed, looking around the lobby, even one as vast as this, there's not a soul to be seen except me. And her. Her teeth are yellowed and black. Her skin is translucent, wet, and sags away from her flesh. I tell myself it must be a fancy dress New Year's Eve party. May I have your name, sir? She's got an old-looking guest book and a feathered ink pen waiting. I try to shake off my dark imaginings and leave them by the glass doors with the cold. But before I can sign my name, I see the book has been filled, edge to gilded edge with signatures. All sizes and swoops are crowded on top of each other here in lines of many colors. It looks like the deranged phone book of a mad city. Before I can consider if this is some themed party game... My company had called ahead and booked my room? That was not my imagination. I heard a voice as clearly as near as my own. There's no one here, though. A cold, creeping feeling returns to me. I can't remember how I got here. Did someone call ahead for me, too? That's when I notice there isn't a phone anywhere in sight, and the cold creeps a little deeper. Are you expecting a call we can forward to your room? I think carefully before I answer her. This nice young woman in her clean, sharp suit, her practiced smile is the same one I've seen on a thousand helpful service faces. Not rotting, pale faces, not sharp, rotting smiles. I can see that the cold, creeping feeling is not coming from the storm outside, and my dark imaginings are all too real. I mumble something about reservations, and she coos something comforting back at me that I don't quite hear. Outside the lobby windows, those horrible, massive glass walls, I see the snow has finally filled in the driveway. 
There would be no escape now, except a suicidal run through the cold, cold night. The thought of getting buried alive in the snow weevils its way into my mind and my limbs tingle distractingly. Nine. I try to remember what happened before the lobby, before the storm. I remember a figure high above me. A man, large and intimidating, standing on nothing. Looking for me, looking at me. Suddenly, he's here before me, standing in the lobby with me in this deep-sea creature of a woman. Good evening, sir. But he's not a man. Not anymore, if he once was. His skin clings tightly in leathery fragments to his skull and hands, a human skeleton that manages to fill a suit. Did I summon him here? Did I summon him before, high above the hotel? Is that a dream? Or is this? Uh, bathroom I can use? Another voice. I also ask for the bathroom, praying to find safety there. The bespoke bones stare down at me with half-covered dry sockets. Rage and contempt billow off him. I don't know what I've done to offend this phantom. The desk manager is telling me about the toilets and the guest rooms. Either she can hear the voices as well, or I'm the one talking and my sanity is already gone. God bless. I don't know if this is a heavenly confirmation or simple prayer, but I mutter my agreements. Abruptly, the skeletal thing comes at me from behind the check-in desk, skin pulling away from his teeth in a grotesque facsimile of a smile. I feel a panic rising in my throat, and if for no other reason than to stop it from breaking into a scream, I ask for a room key. It seems to satisfy them both, and though she is saying something to me about the room and tonight's party, I find it difficult to hear anything but the clear ringing of the front desk bell. Eight. But whether it's a product of my mind or not, I can't say. I can't think. Dimly, I am aware of another figure coming towards us, but my attention is arrested by the large, silent demon boring naked hate into me with his hollow gouges. He terrifies me, deep inside, as though he crawled out of my very own fears and manifested. A woman has her own horror, not from within, but from some cold, distant place, like the terrors that can only live in the bottom of the ocean, the bottom of the world. Her I can't even bring myself to look at. The hate I feel from him is something I can at least comprehend, but if I look at her softly glowing pale eyes, the scream will finally break. She's trying to explain to me where the room is, where to go. They both so clearly want me to go to the room that I know I won't be safe there, but in this moment, all I want is to be away from the ghoulish staff of this hotel. And no disruptions, please. I wish to be left alone. Yes. Of course. The voices must be allies, angels guiding me away from these monsters and their tricks. I do as the voice does. If I follow their advice, I may survive this yet. I just need to be left alone. That's all, isn't it? I won't be calling. I don't want to be disturbed. 
Our conversation is interrupted by a grim-looking bellhop with tight skin and rigid flesh. There's something in his expression that I can't quite place. A strangeness that extends from the eyes to the rest of his features. I don't dare to hope that maybe this is just a man like myself. When he steps into the elevator with me, he brings a visceral dread with him. And I know what he's like. I know that he's like them. He reminds me of the thing in the suit we left in the lobby. But I realized the strangeness that rests just beneath every corpse-like expression the bellhop makes. A resting layer of fear. Every twitch and sigh expressed by him is tinged with the color of fear. As if to confirm my suspicions, as soon as the elevator doors open, he rushes out and sprints to my room. I tell myself I just need to get through the night, and morning will bring some new safety. I need a room, just for tonight. But I'm not the first to think so here, am I? I'm not the only one who was rushed into a room by nightmares hoping for a sunrise never seen. Were you here in my place once? Did you seek refuge in your room? And what is in these rooms, those traps that has this nightmare bellhop so afraid? There's someone in my room! I won't find out. I won't go in. The terror in that woman's voice offers me no comfort or guidance. This is no place for angels. My room is 127. Is that on the first floor? The first floor. The party. I was a fool to assume isolation would save me. Once the other guests start arriving, I'll be safe. Or we'll all be damned together. The elevator buttons don't respond to my touch, and I cry out in panic. Have I already been caught in the trap? The stone-faced bellhop returns, and then the elevator doors open for both of us. He's taking me back down to the first floor without a word of protest. As the elevator doors close, I feel a new kind of understanding. Something hollow breaks inside my stomach. The trap was sprung long ago. Be it the room, this elevator, or the vast lobby below, I am trapped. Too slowly we descend, and I know what waits for me there creatures barely masquerading as people, a nighttime snowstorm, and only the co-misery of the disembodied for guidance. At any moment, they could choose to take me. I thought we were going to the first floor. Perhaps that moment is now. Seven... But no, it's not time yet, it seems, and as the elevator doors open, I bolt. I look for someone, anyone else to share this madness with me. I'm free from my shared coffin, but right back into this camouflaged mausoleum. The lobby is empty of happily chattering and lightly drunken partygoers. I'm still alone here. Too many impossible things battering against my sanity like gallstones until it hangs off my mind in tatters. My body aches from tension and I understand now why a mouse might freeze well before the viper strikes. My name is Harold Pike. 
How long do you recommend I stay? Is everything all right, Mr. Watson? Do you need help with anything? I cry out, warning this new voice away. If I am damned already, maybe he can be spared. I apologize. Our service is not usually this lacking, though our lobby boy has been a problem before. Excuse me. Lobby boy! Lobby boy, get out here! Your performance has been well below standard for too long, and the tolerance for your ineptitude ends now! I expect and demand a level of quality, and if you cannot do your very simple job, that will be the end of you! Excuse me. I'm very sorry about this very unprofessional outburst, Mr. Watson. What kind of hell is this that even the demons are not safe from each other? I suppose one night will do, yes? Certainly. Why not? Harold, is it? I try to make myself presentable enough to face... To face the new year. And if only one night, why not tonight? One night. New Year's Eve is a night of new beginnings. Perhaps you would like to wait for the other guests in the Bee and Pollen Room. That's where the party is hosted tonight. But will any of us ever leave the ballroom? Has this twisted game somehow not yet begun? Will I find some fresh hell waiting for me in the next room? Uh, yeah. Yeah, the room's great. Did you want to come in? You could have a drink if you like. The bar is open. It may help calm your nerves, if you don't mind me saying so. Well, if you both insist. I will. Good night. I agree and she snaps her fingers, summoning the bellhop, my partner in fear. But I'm not afraid. Not anymore. My fear must have burned itself away, leaving only the bastard son of acceptance, numbness, behind. That won't be necessary. I'll be happy to take care of you myself, Mr. Watson. He tries to smile at me again, but the old boy is entirely out of skin by now. I let him walk me into the bee and pollen room, a hand like iron firmly hooked into my shoulder. Six. The ballroom is so densely packed with sharp decor and color it makes the lobby look almost plain. I see a stage for the band, Sparkling thick rope streamers hanging from the black chandelier. Cloth napkins folded into strange poses on the tables. As we pass these tables, I noted every chair there is a card made of dry folded paper. The names mean nothing to me. Ted Barrow. Jenny Range. Harold Pike. My name is Harold Pike. The Angels. The voices are the guests. Hi, I'm Jenny. Jenny. Here's Jenny Range. It must be. Each card a guest. Harry Brunt, Janet Hurd, even the famous, the infamous Noreen. Here. They're all here. 
They've arrived already, long before me. All that's left now is midnight. And can I get a wake-up call for six o'clock? Sharp fingers dig more deeply into my shoulder and his skull grins down at me. Confronting the chalk-white maw of eternity, I find I can't face it. The scope of it unmoors me from my body. Panic flushes back in. I wait for the fear to break so I can control myself, but in the pitch of his skull's empty sockets I see the depths I have to plunge until I reach the salvation of pure madness. So I run! I run screaming from the ballroom and through the lobby, past the bellhop, past the putrefying desk manager. I see the snowbanks piled high out the lobby windows and pray the cold wind will provide an easier death than whatever awaits me here. Hey, this is Travis with a brief ad break. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Thanks for listening. Now back to The Hotel. I burst again into the lobby, rushing so fast I actually have to slide to a stop. In my panic, I, I must have... I scramble again out the door, feeling a blast of cold air and sensing the darkness ahead of me, and I burst again into the lobby. I turn. But no sooner do I see the moonlit snowbanks than I burst again into the lobby... In and out, in and out, I play this deadly game of roulette until I, I'm dizzy. I, I catch only snippets of a new voice. Well, the Imperium Arms always have of soaps and shampoo. Stay there. For the brief moments I am outside, I can see the moon. Pale and yellow and cubed with rounded edges. High above the hotel where he stood, looking down, mocking me. This is no dream. No hell. Where that moon rises, the stars must laugh in cold voices. I burst again into the lobby for a final time. He just stands, as tall and full as ever, but beneath his suit he's just bones and tatters. Her head sags under a moist, sticky pallor. The entire lobby smells of death. I ask where I am hoping to drop all pretense. Mr. Watson, you are a guest of perhaps the finest hotel anywhere. Tonight, we host a grand New Year's Eve party. It's the first one we've ever held. 
you should feel honored. Our guest of honor. If you'd care to step back into the bee and pollen ballroom. They slather me with their lies, but stepping out of the ballroom, I see my partner in fear. The bellhop. Patches of green rot pepper his bloating flesh, and his pale eyes seem to catch the light and reflect it back. He straightens his hat, and I see more than light reflected back. I understand. None of us will be leaving tonight. He holds his hand out to me. A warm invitation to my mandatory fate, and I allow myself to be escorted into the heart of this place. Well, the air conditioner is still not satisfactory. It's too hot. Ah, yes. I understand. Four. I had the train car all to myself, which most people as would prefer. As close as if she were standing next to me. Who were you? Did you die in this room as well? I try to commiserate with the dead, but I sense neither of us are comforted. They aren't angels whispering me guidance. They're not ghosts. They don't haunt this place still. A skeletal hand with just enough skin to hold a glass offers me a drink. Whatever it is has fumes that kick my nostrils open. That's what these voices are. Fumes of some potent death, some final scream that burns what's left behind. My grim barkeep pours me another devil of the good stuff. I pull the whole drink in one gulp. It burns my throat and I feel that fuzzy unhitching behind my eyes as it settles in my bones. That bastard in his damned cobwebbed suit is still grinning his teeth at me. So when he pours me another one, I let him have it. Tumbler and all. He stares at me, dripping with glass and fumes, and I stare right back till he either kills me or pours me a fresh one. And he pours. That's when I start thinking. This old dog is all bark. So after I swallow my fourth, I know who's getting the glass. I toast his good health, and with all my might, I throw it at the wall, at the hotel itself. It crashes against some neon tubing, and everything shatters. I half expected it to bleed. I throw chairs and tear the tablecloths. I yank over the table and crack the chilling champagne bottles. I pull the neon veins from the walls, devastating them with my hands and sharing the experience of my blood with this building that knows it too well already. I grab a sparkling bottle and throw it to the mirrored bar, hoping that may amount to putting out the hotel's eye. A thousand thousand whispers of silver glass glint off each other like dying stars. Three! Moving through the tables, I tear up card after card, not finding one with my name on it. I shred them with slick, stained hands. Blood is running along my wrists and neck, down my legs and into my socks. I pull party streamers that run from the ceiling down the walls like tentacles. They knock the black chandelier and it 
pendulates like a grim metronome. This room's drab. You got anything nicer? In the corner of my eye, I see hazy movement accompanying the voice. Sweat and tears sting my eyes, but still I can make out windy shapes moving along the growing destruction. The room seems to be filling up. Ashtray? I turn to my rotting bellhop friend for help, and he gladly points me to the nearest ashtray. It stands one foot tall with a heavy globe top. My strength is finally giving way to the alcohol, but I manage to collapse my nose and shatter my teeth before tossing its entire blood-slick silver weight at the clustered neon heart of lights by the bandstand. A shower of sparks kiss little burns across my suit and flesh. Two. My senses are fading. The corners are filling with soft darkness, but in that darkness the shadows that were here deepen, and I can see them finally. The room is filled with people, smiling, well-dressed and horrible. I crawl up onto the stage so I can see them better, and so they can see me better. My eyes are swollen, but I can just make them out through the starlight haze. A woman with no jaw, another covered in ash, a man whose face is like twisted bark. Everyone is broken or burning or bleeding. Couples, families, even a baby, happily chewing on a wad of... something. They're here. We're all here. My breath is coming in and out in bloody rags now. I fall to my knees in front of my grisly audience. In the back of the ballroom, on the edge of my vision, I see them. The staff, but not a drop of rot or blood on them. A dark-eyed, sharp-smiling woman. A haunted, hard-faced bellhop. And an imposing menace in an expensive suit. They look more alive than any of us do here. They smile, standing shoulder to shoulder together. As if they always have. As if they always will. In that moment, I saw them clearly. I saw everything clearly. And it was the end of me. Happy New Year! <laughs> oh, little light, did you have a good party? Did you see all your friends came too? I tried to get everything just right for it. We had costumes and pretty lights, and by the time we got to midnight, well, things got a little out of hand. Broken rooms, broken hearts, and more than a little cleaning up to do in the morning... Sounds like a pretty good party to me. I think you scared the poor lobby boy half to death. But he's always been a little skittish. And I really should be cross with you for throwing that glass right in the owner's face. But you know what? I kind of liked it. You can't quite hold your liquor, though, young man. But if you can't cut loose on New Year's Eve... I have a confession to make, Robert. I don't really understand the thing. 
I thought having a party might help, but it was just like every other day. Except I dressed up and you got drunk and made a mess. You hardly even have a face anymore. I know, I know, it's not very... Not involved! I just wanted to meet you, you know, personally. Before we finished up and I get you back to the ballroom. Um, you seem pretty distracted, though. Well, I hope you had fun anyway, Robert. I sure did. And looks like we have a whole new year ahead of us. And if we could all be a little more gentle with each other, and a little more loving, have a little more empathy, and maybe next year at this time we'd like each other a little bit more. Or maybe next year it'll just be an office party. <laughs> the hotel was created and produced by Travis McMaster and Mark Witten. Starring Kelly Ninaltowski as the manager. Mark Witten as the lobby boy. Graham Rowett as the owner. And Krista Lewis. Music by Lauren Picorni, West Rodri and special guest composer, Zach Tatum-Drake. time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.